Welcome to Tub Talks. I'm Jean Viev. I grew up learning the most through conversations in the hot springs with everyone from close family to complete strangers in the tubs at Esalen and Big Sur. There's a special kind of intimacy that's created when people strip down and share freely in the bath. On Tub Talks, we will soak in the wisdom and creativity offered from friends in all walks of life and relax into the process of growth together. In the ways that soaking becomes a deeper relaxation over time, freeform conversation allows for us to undress our insecurities and share our process and lifestyle in true authenticity. So, hello from my tiny clawfoot bath under an oak tree. Let's get into today's episode. Emily Birmingham grew up in Big Sur, California at the same time as me, but somehow in a different cultural landscape. Emily's great-grandmother created Nepenthe, the iconic Oceanside restaurant that sits just west of Highway 1. Nepenthe is where Emily grew up. This is the first Tub Talks we have recorded in Big Sur, and it feels different. Emily and I discuss all things Big Sur culture, including the arts program her parents founded that came to define an aspect of both of our childhoods and what it looks like to live in Big Sur as an adult. Talking with Emily brings me to the question of what does creativity and cultural preservation look like for Emily and those who continue to steward Big Sur history and culture. So with that, welcome Emily. Welcome to Tub Talks, Emily. Thanks for being our first remote Tub Talk. Indoor tub. Yeah, but it's good. we have an open door. And I'm just trying to make it sound more like... <laughs> We're still outside. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear I don't the want ocean. the people to know how lucky we are right now. <laughs> to be in this amazing bath <laughs> by the ocean. I mean, this is... I, you should just come visit the Topanga bath to know the spectrum of what it can be. What it can, well, you can come see my yeah. bath and see the spectrum <laughs> of the, the, water, the water boiling station. I was going to set oh up and... <laughs> the tea and all the things we have us taken care of. How long have you lived there? How have you lived? I've been there for two years this April. So like just last month was my two year anniversary with the house and it's very cool. And I was telling Ethan, I was like, this is like a period of my life where I'm like so love affair with living here, which has pretty much never happened since I was a kid. And I don't even think I was like aware of feeling that way as a kid. It just was where I was. But Did being, you ever move away? Yeah, I've moved away, like, a handful of times. Two years is, like, the longest I've been away, so which in the scheme of my life feels like nothing, but was formative. And coming back here was always like, okay, I'll come back, I'll regroup, then see, and then we'll go somewhere else. And right now I'm, like, really enjoying not feeling that way. I have my own space, free from whatever, like, me to Big Sur as a person who grew up here with all my family here rooted I get to enjoy it and like allow myself to enjoy it and not feel like I should be doing anything else it's really it's special and I'm like aware of it which is pretty wild but that's pretty profound because you really are multi-generations right you're yeah how many generations are from Big Sur my grandma moved to Big Sur with her parents when she was like a little kid and they had like five kids. I think all five of them moved to Big Sur from like San Francisco or wherever they were living prior. So she has four brothers and sisters and she's the fifth. Or Your grandma. Whatever. Yeah. But she's, she's still here. She's been here like her whole life. 
but it goes back to like my great grandmother and great grandfather, which is like deep. But That's then so deep. Being at Post Ranch, like being on that property, and the Post family makes the history of my family, which is so profound to me and others, feel like nothing. Yeah. You know, pre Highway One, like cows on both sides of the hillside, shit that we can't even really comprehend yeah. because we're like <laughs> 12. <laughs> in the scheme of things. I know, it really puts into perspective because when I tell people I'm from Big Sur, I don't even have that kind of a history. Like, my mom came here in the 60s, but, like, that's so different. But it's so real. Yeah. It is such a real history. Your mom is, like, a part of the fabric of the history of so many people's lives here. It's yeah. like she's as important to the people that she's important to here and to this place as, like the cows on the post property a million years ago. You know, it's like she's contextually, everybody has a different timeline, but I didn't know that about your mom until I listened to that, the conversation you had with her, and I was, like, blown away that she came here so young and has been here the whole time. The whole time. She never left. She gets points for that. Like... <laughs> Well, I think I grew up in a very different version of... I always say that even on the podcast, like, I grew up at Esalen. I didn't really totally. grow up in Big Sur, so I was pretty isolated from Big Sur culture. So I even remember coming to Stage Kids, which was part of your parents' arts initiative. And, like, I remember taking off all my clothes in the dressing room and you being like, Jean-Vivre just grew up at Esalen, so she's down to be naked like that. And <laughs> she's then just being running like, around oh, naked. Should I be nervous? Like, I don't even right. have tits yet, but, like... Now it's weird that I'm naked. I didn't realize it was different, you know, yeah. but stuff like that. It's just I didn't realize how other I was until I was in society more, which for me, society was big, sir, because it was just a little bit more normal than. than yeah, it was just like a little bit more like populated. Yeah. And there was more of like a thoroughfare. Yeah. But and you have that too at Esalen, like people coming and going and staying and having deep relationships with it as a place. And it's funny you say that because I remember you as a kid and never felt like oh, John Viev's different. It was like, oh, John Viev is, like, the star of stage kids, but also, like, the star of, like, John Viev's life. And I'm the star of my life. This keeps coming back where being in, like, a small town, there's this sort of, like, ugh, small town antics, small town bullshit. Every circle of individuals, it's all small town. Like, mm -hmm. even just celebrity culture of, like, famous people and who they've dated before... I don't know, I see these videos on TikTok that are like timelines of people's relationship history and you're like, whoa, you went from this to this to this to this and it's all information that matters to whoever because you're famous. But being in a small town, it's like, I don't want to date somebody because they dated somebody before. But it's like, why are you special? We all yeah. have to date somebody or not. <laughs> don't. But like, you're not going to find somebody. No. And also someone that really clean. understands you. Like, yeah. you've mostly dated people that are from Big Sur. Totally. My like two main relationships in my life are people from here, which also hangs me up sometimes where I'm like, this is so great. A language shared. And then also I'm like, what are, what are we missing mm. from the world? What could you learn? from somebody from wherever else. But maybe there's also something... Yeah, I mean, I understand that feeling. Yeah. But I think there's something really beautiful about being able to have a shared language and have a shared understanding of what life is like here because people can idealize it too. Totally. And also not see the things that are beautiful under the skin because you just see... When you drive through Big Sur, a lot of people just see the surface of it. Totally. They don't know about the mountains. I mean, 
a lot of people have never even driven up the mountain. Totally. But like, where are the homes? Yeah. Yeah. And where is the culture? But the culture is like this invisible spider web thread. It's up like, the dirt roads. Yeah, it's up the dirt roads. <laughs> that is where the culture is. It is. That's really interesting, actually, with Big Sur culture, because that's one thing I've noticed. And I'm, I've been in a relationship for a long time with someone who's not from Big Sur. Yeah. And bringing him here... I would be like, oh, you can't do this because of this. And then he'd be like, why is that a rule? And there was always this, like, he who said I can't do this. And I'm like, well, you just can't because we don't do that here. And he's like, but that doesn't make sense. And I was like, look, it's just a cultural rule here. And he's like, but where is that? Why does it happen? That doesn't make sense. And he's also not not we. Yeah, exactly. He's him. I just took my boyfriend to New York for his first trip. (laughs) And New York's a place to me that's, like, so special for a billion reasons. But... I wanted him to, like, experience it. But I was with him, like, you have to walk fast. You can't be on your phone while you're walking. Like, don't talk to people. Like, people don't want to hear your life story. Don't chitty chat on the subway, you know? And we got there, and he is just, like, a gregarious character. He's so friendly, too. So friendly and so warm. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, like, there's no, like, question mark in his eyes. And it took me three days, but I was, like... Do whatever you want here. Like, don't listen to my rules I made up. Like, you're walking too fast. I can't keep up. (laughs) Nobody in New York at this point follows the rules that I'm aware of because those were imposed on me when I was little, and it was like, it's a different world. Yeah. And you're experiencing this for the first time. Like, I'm going to shut up. (laughs) Do you. Wow, that's really beautiful that you have the insight. It was intense, though. It was, like, hard. Like, I was like, surrender. You feel that way with Big Sur? Because I sometimes am still like, Mike, you can't do that. You can't take pictures here. You can't do this here. Like It's different with this place because it's our home. And I also think some of the rules are more in preservation and respect. And, like, the land is very special here. It's don't litter. Don't be, which I'm sure isn't what he was questioning. But (laughs) do you know what I mean? Where it's like there are specific guidelines to respecting this place. And visiting New York City. I'm a visitor there. And I'm also like, the rules are like rules of engagement. They're social norms. And it's like, if you're not a social norm, like don't listen to me. But in Big Sur, I do think it's different. I think there's different understandings that you want people to have when they come here. And I also think it's like, allow him to bring whatever his, like, I want to know what he's questioning. So I'm curious. (laughs) I don't know. I think it was probably... It was during, one of the times at the very beginning was we were going to Andrew Malera and it was closed, so we were sneaking on, uh-huh. and he was taking pictures. I think we ran into Kodiak, and I was like, oh no, Kodiak's going to be mad, like, just put your camera away. Oh my <laughs> God. Mike, <laughs> Mike no, like, no other photographers allowed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But and, it, and then you question it. I, I imagine. I don't I know. Did. But then yeah, you're like, sure. wait. But I was like, oh, I don't know. I just like don't want to. I don't. You know what it is? I don't live here anymore. So I'm like, I also want to respect people's lives. And, yeah. And it's more that I want to respect people's lives because it's hard to live here. Yeah. And I really understand that because I grew up like in a trailer. So yeah. I always think about how it's not easy to get by in Big Sur. Yeah. And most people are tied to like their specific thing that they were able to figure out. Totally. And so, I don't know, I just have awareness around it. Yeah. It yeah. makes sense. <laughs> it's so well, funny. Like, my mom is very territorial, too, about is things. Is she? She'll be like, yeah, my tub talks or, like, my my massage class. And 
And I have to unlearn that territorial thing because I can be like that, but I've been unlearning it. I'm like, yeah. anybody could do it. If someone else wants to do a podcast in the bath, they could do it. Right. Whatever. It's going to be different than mine. Well, what I think is really cool about that, I mean, because I can appreciate, I don't find myself to be a territorial person about this space particularly, yeah. but unlearning that feeling of being like somebody's doing something that I want to do or am doing and not letting that stop you or feel like any type of way about it is something that's I can relate do the thing that you're gonna do yeah do the conversation in the tub and you end up realizing that what you're doing is like inspiring people allowing giving people permission to like do their version of whatever it is whatever they want to do that's really my belief is like if I'm gonna anything that I do I hope it inspires people to pursue whatever weird crazy idea they had it does it does i'll tell you from as a observer (laughs) it does what have you been thinking about doing um i think about preserving like the history of my family my like mom dad brother in this way that's like our family home that isn't like a home that they built It's a home that they moved into that has so much history prior to them, but I want to see the energy that it carries right now, which is, like, my mom's energy and my dad's energy. I want to, like, make sure that that exists wherever they are and, like, when they're no longer here. And I want to feel, like, grounded in my creativity and, like, comfortable saying... I'm an artist, this is what I do, I work with my hands, here's some work, you know, like sharing my work Mm -hmm. and not feeling that if it's not monetized, then it's not shared, untangling those two concepts. And I'm trying to get better at that, but I feel like it's a really difficult thing for me not to immediately go like, how do I make this make me money so that I can be doing what I love as we're meant to do. And I feel like inspired by your ability to take your childhood experiences and turn it into something that you can share with people. People are receiving it. Thanks. You know, it's cool. It's really cool. I mean, I feel that even with Tub Talks, it's not like we have that many listeners. I mean, over time we have listeners, but but I just do it because I like to do it. Yeah. And I think that if it touches one person, that's all that really matters. And then maybe that one person touches another person. Mike always talks about this, like a thousand fan theory, like a thousand true fans are way better than like anything else. Anything else. Totally. And same with for us, instead of trying to get a sponsor or trying to get it monetized, we just buy the equipment. Yeah. Just do it ourselves. Do it yourself like until Sila, it's... Sila just learned how to rig it up herself. She never did this before. It's so cool. Yeah, and You're it's like, like we're learning opportunities. new skills, yeah. too. Totally. I'm learning a new skill set, and if that that is enjoyable for me because I use my brain in a different way. Yeah. Did I ever think that I would be sitting in baths with microphones? Maybe not, but, but I like it, and it feels good. Yeah, and you were going to be sitting in baths having conversations with people for the rest of your life. Yeah, regardless. So this is just like... <laughs> This is technology. To share it. Yeah, totally. But I really, I feel that I want to know. I actually want to know more about your family history and like how you want to preserve it because I know your parents are both artists. Yeah, my mom's a painter, my dad's a everything. He's like a story in himself. It's so funny. My mom gets so much attention because she's prolific and warm. She yeah. has like maternal energy in the universe, and my dad is like worked in the circus. 
hitchhiked across the country to come to Big Sur, like met my mom in the walk-in at Nepenthe. Like their love story is just bananas. They met at Nepenthe? Mm-hmm. Was she working there? She was home for, she'd been in Argentina and graduated high school and was home for a summer, I think before going to college. Uh, but they met, he was like working in the kitchen or clean up or something at the restaurant and they were both tasked with cleaning out one of the big walk-ins and it was like a love at first sight. For, I think for her, I think for him it was like you're young, young. <laughs> and your family owns the business I work with so it was complex. But their life is like rich and wild and my dad's like incredibly creative in his zany ways. He has started teaching this class called I Can't Draw and you can too, I think. <laughs> and he like makes these drawings that are like incredible. He gave me a Vitamix for Christmas one year and then he like drew the Vitamix. I don't even have the Vitamix anymore. I have the drawing of the Vitamix. That's so it's cute. And it's like shaky and weird, but it's like you know what it is, you yeah. know. But they're a team. They work together and it's an interesting thing of like their love, their experience, my experience being their kid. I've always felt a little bit like I don't want anything that anybody had before me. I don't want to fall in love and like be with the love of my life, driving one car and doing everything together. <laughs> and then it's like everything I've built for myself has led up to like, that's my example. That's where I am. I'm a creative person trying to express through my partnerships and my relationships and totally like embracing the things that I feel like for myself, I've always kind of like living here. I've been like now gotta go somewhere else and then embracing that and being like here I am and it's fucking epic this is crazy I mean this is is crazy this is (laughs) this is a crazy bad and like my home I go to work I work at Post Ranch and I go to work and people are like this view so I'm like my bed is this view what are you doing at Post Ranch I work in the restaurant I host there you didn't want to work at Nepenthe Yeah, I was ready to not work for my family if I was going to stay in Big Sur. I had done that for a really long time, and it gave me a lot of opportunities to, like, make money and learn about human interaction and stuff. But working for a family is just, like, you. it's kind of like being in high school forever. Like, you never, like, graduate to having a boss who you didn't know your whole life or whatever. Yeah. And being up there is, like, this certain level of, like, anonymity. There's literally a gate. So I can't just have people come say hi to me at work. It's limited. There's not a ton of people coming in. But it's like a means to an end for me. It's a job. Yeah. You know? It's interesting. It's a very different experience. I mean, even for me coming back, I've I've stayed at Post Ranch like maybe twice. Or I've like visited people that are staying at Post Ranch maybe four or five times. And it's funny because my relationship to Big Sur has changed over the years because I never came back after college. Right. And I would always come back as a guest in a way. Yeah. But then I would see, like, Martina Alberto's dad, Martin, yeah. there, and I'd be like, I'm so happy to see you. Yeah. You coached me in soccer my entire life, and then, yeah, I'm in this, like, strange situation with these other people that have no idea. Like, they know I'm from Big Sur, but they don't understand They don't know my you're going to know the maintenance guy yeah, at Post Ranch. exactly. <laughs> the head of but maintenance. like, why, why do you get a local discount? I was like, oh, the guy on the phone said that he knew me from when I was a kid. So That's we got so our room funny. for like 700 instead of 1,000. That's so sick. That's like <laughs> the best of both worlds. Yeah, but it's crazy because I feel like I'm grateful for... It was important to me to change my, my financial situation. That was something as a child that I felt really insecure 
about mm-hmm. how our level of poverty and I was like I need to own a house I need to have these things that like my parents still don't have right I'm able to take care of my dad now and eventually I'll probably be taking care of my mom too and already in certain ways we do but that was something I knew I needed to leave Big Sur for yeah that feeling of having to leave this place to secure something I think is so relatable and it's like Financially, I can appreciate that. And also, like, it's, I have friends who I just adore and love. They were living here for a long time. But he had this opportunity and it came with an opportunity for her. And they left and it was, you know, heartbreaking. But I'm also, like, so happy to see them be able to buy a home. And, like, and we've had that conversation where she's like, that was never going to happen for me in Big Sur. Living here, you kind of sacrifice that. Even if you're in a level of comfortability, like, not poverty, but you're, like, making ends meet. Like my parents have never purchased a home here and that's at this point not an option, but it, you know, who knows? They've secured the bag for themselves, so to speak, but it's like, they're not looking at property in Big Sur, but they live here and they're like made a home and a life for themselves here. But you kind of do, I imagine, have to leave. Did your, your mom left? Yeah. She grew up here and then she left. She grew up here, she went to read. But she got pregnant right away. Oh, with your brother? Yeah, like her first year. So she dropped out of school, but they stayed in Oregon. And they lived in Portland for a period of time. And then my dad's from the East Coast. And at a certain point, they were like, let's head east. Lived in Vermont until, in Burlington, until my brother was four or five. And then at that moment, there was this kind of like shifting in Nepenthe where my mom's grandmother had passed away or was getting older. They were trying to kind of like move into the next chapter. Her brother was like, come home, help me. I have work for you. I think she was resistant. And then her and my dad both were like, there's support, there's family. Our son is going to go to school. Like, let's pick a, pick a lane. And they chose to come out here and they've been here ever since. But for my mom's experience, I think it was really important for her to feel like she wedged out, like she was on her own. And when she decided to come back, it was her decision. And it offered her stability and all these important things as a young mother. Do your parents run Nepenthe now? No, they really don't have anything to do with the restaurant at all. They live there. Yeah. My dad managed it when I was growing up and it was a huge part of our family identity to me. Like, I was like, I'd go see my dad after school, get off the bus, and he'd be at work. He quit doing that when I was like, like when Stage Kids started. Like, all of that, all Stage Kids and Big Start Initiative and all that was a decision my parents made to commit to a life in the arts and offering, like, programming for kids. Which there was none of in Big Sur. There was yeah. nothing for kids to do. Which is crazy, because that was, like, rich for us. Like, I remember. Stage Kids was rich. Stage we were Kids was so, the best thing in my life. It was so fun. Yeah. Like, it was incredible. I and it mean, was, like, the acting, but then just, like, the going to the river. Yeah, for people that don't know what Stage Kids is, I just want to say that, like, your parents basically started an initiative that allowed for us to do different things at the local Grange. And that what your parents created with Stage Kids was so profound because it was, first, I think it started as a winter. We yeah, did a it was, winter like... concert, or a winter performance of... I can't remember what it was, but that was the first one. And then we had this, the full summer, the first yeah. time we did the summer. Scheherazade. Yes. A thousand and one <laughs> Arabian nights or whatever. And that was the first, the first year of Stage Kids, right? Yeah. And, and you were so little. I was so little. I was in first grade. Wow. And I remember going out to say my line 
and I forgot it. Oh my god, as said, if we had lines. I said, oi vey. <laughs> and Jaime thought it was the best thing on earth. Priceless moment. And that is when I became the child. And then you were Jaime's pet. That's where our rivalry, our animosity. I was like, Jaime is our family friend, and you're just going to say oy vey, and now you're going to Hollywood? I really thought, I really thought, wow, I'm going to be an actor. Like, they loved it. Oy vey made the whole crowd laugh. It was a, a fan fave. I remember that, right. that moment, and it was like, oh, I was like, oh, so natural. Oy vey. Oy vey. <laughs> but that was the first time, and basically the concept of Stage Kids was that we could, they would give us a framework of a yeah. story, like A Thousand and One Arabian Nights, and then we would build out the story totally. through the weeks. And so the kids had the opportunity to both be writers, creatives. We would stage it ourselves, make block costumes. it ourselves, make costumes. We did everything, and your parents really created spaces for kids to let their creativity flourish in a way that there was a means to an end. Like we got the videos, oh, you sent me the videos. Like we have, yeah. the, we have the VHSs. There was this moment of really seeing something be baked and yeah. able to eat. Totally. And Stage Kids had no formula. It was like, you guys are the formula, figure it out with the guidance of parents and Jaime. And how did your parents do that? Like, how did she, they find Jaime? Dude, it's a story. It's so good. I don't, I can't believe you don't know this. I don't. Jaime came to Big Sur. I was four or five, and my mom had these friends that were working at Nepenthe. They were like young, out of college students, and they came to Big Sur to make a movie. Jaime was an actor, and the woman who had written the script and was filming the movie and doing this whole thing ended up falling in love with Jaime's best friend, and they got married, and they're still together and have incredible, they're like an incredible family. But we got Jaime, like, years later, I think my parents were hatching the plan of stage kids, and he'd stayed in touch with them and got involved. But how did they come up with the, the framework? Was it just year after year they built it out? Because it was such a brilliant way. I mean, in the way that I do Secular Sabbath, I see Stagecoach. Well, I just <laughs> went to Stagecoach. <laughs> Stage Kids. Very similarly, because yeah. there was like this little moment where everyone would have snacks, and then there was like, we yeah. would go jump in the river and like climb up the rock and get to jump into the swimming hole. So there were these little activities that were built within this framework of this week that we would all spend together. Totally. I don't know how they came up with that. I think it was like, I mean, we were kids. So yeah, I was I like, you just are, a part like, of it. Like, I, didn't, I wasn't there at the meeting. They just, that's the way it worked out. Yeah. And I think it's what works. It works in that format for you as an adult. And it worked for us as kids. And I think on some level, it allowed them to not have to do the work of writing a play and committing people to, like, nobody would be having fun doing that. Yeah. Allowing us to have fun with an outcome that ever, the whole town could enjoy. I really haven't made the parallel before right now having this conversation about how much Stage Kids has probably influenced informed. and informed how I, how I build out Secular Sabbath. Yeah. Because it does. There are so many different elements to it. The, like, loosely led workshops and I remember they would split us into three groups mm -hmm. and you would it was a different station of activation so there was like the person that made us do the energy ball thing where you like throw and I hated that activity because I didn't know my left from my right but then there was like the songwriting part in fact I'd love to do stage kids for adults 
And I don't know why they never did that, because I think our parents could have really thrived. Well, when in the 80s, I think they had Big Sur Players was like Stage Kids for Adults. That, really? I don't know if you know Jeremiah. Do you know True? Yeah, the, her she's dad, younger than us. Yeah. yeah, her dad and mom and my mom, but a bunch of other people would get together at the Grange and do plays. And I don't think it had the same fluidity as Stage Kids. Like, I think what yeah. you're talking about really makes sense. Like, to do it in that, like, playful format. But they did have theater for adults. I, I think that that is such a cool concept. We recently read a book in our book club called The Overstory and one storyline in it. Uh-huh. There's this couple and they do community theater. And that's like the way that they bond and fall in love is that they both participate in community theater. And I was Sweet. thinking about how in L.A. we don't really have like, I don't know of any community theaters. But I, but I don't know about, maybe in Big Sur, it's more feasible, too. Well, I feel like L.A. is, like, the community of theater. You could go to any acting class and just be like, this is community theater. Everyone just happens to be trying yeah. to go somewhere. This could be the beginning of us having a Secular Sabbath community theater. Stage kids edition. Yeah. Stage adults. (laughs) Stage older kids. But what's cool is that we really grew up in it. Yeah. And and that's the part that's so special is that then when I got too old to to act in stage kids, I taught in stage kids. I assisted the kids for a couple of years. When I was 15, for sure, I remember. That's so cool. Being a teacher. And Felicity, too, I think. Yeah. We both really, and it provided us, because my childhood was a little bit lonely unless I was at Esalen because I didn't have any siblings. So it provided community when I couldn't have it at Esalen or at home. Yeah, and gave everybody this place to be that was interacting with new people. Growing up at Esalen, I'm sure you had this, but at Nepenthe too, we had the kids that were at Nepenthe. And it's like you get to interact with them a bit, but it like brought fresh faces. It forced you to like meet, you know, other people, interact with kids that were home homeschooled, like Scott and Tucker. That's what I was just going to say, is that Stage Kids was also a place where no matter what school you went to or what school you didn't go to, because a lot of kids didn't go to school here, Yeah. Stage Kids was a place where everyone could come. Yeah. And you could see kids that you'd never even met before. The other thing that's cool about it is that in Big Sur, there was a little Jackie Pappas, right? Mm-hmm. She had the little magazine that was just like the five, roundup. The roundup. And like, Still has it. it. Really. Still a thing. I just looked at it yesterday, actually, at Henry Miller. They have it, like, tacked up. What's in the roundup? Uh, People's birthdays, anything happening at the Grange, like if anyone's rented the Grange for a public event. People write in articles, like, share recipes. It should be preserved. You know, like, that is a cool, would be a really cool, like, avenue to get involved in here, I feel like, as a writer or like you know sharing your it's like a zine that comes out every month and homespun and it's just like printed and folded how long do you think she's been doing it since since before we were born probably i have no idea but it's been around i remember the birthdays seeing everyone's birthday that month printed for whatever reason and then there's like these weird visuals i remember of learning how to write cursive and like tracing certain book covers that had cursive on them and the roundup was like written in this cursive that was like a rope. And I- Yeah, that's right. That isn't what it looked like. Yeah, that would be something I would trace to like learn how to write in cursive. That's so cool. But yeah, I have no idea what the timeline is of it, but it's so vintage and it's so happening still. Like she's still doing it. 
What are those things that you would be interested in getting involved in locally? Like, what are the things in your idea of, like, preserving your family? What things interest you? Because you've done many things here. Like, I remember when you had the store. Yeah. And And I had these, like... and Alex, or was it you? It was me and Zosha. It was you and Zosha, that's right. The The altar. Yes. Do you live in Topanga? Yeah. Okay. Topanga is so big sir to me. It's like Palo Colorado if... At one end was Studio City and the other end was the beach. Yes. It's so weird. It's so big, sir, and it's the only place I could live in. Because I always thought I would move home, and, like, I'm not saying I'm not going to. Cause yeah, but you're not there now. I'm not yeah. there now. And if I have to say in L.A., Big Sur or Topanga is, is the Big Sur yeah. of L.A. Because it is, like, a small town. Like, we totally. do have a little pine cone type thing. I think it's more like the pine cone than it is the yeah. roundup. But we have things like that. And we have community, and it's a very small town. And there's, like, a lot of overlap. Yeah, but I do run into Zosha there. Like, she and my dad get along really well. So, like, my dad will be like, have you met Zosha? I'm like, I've been knowing Zosha. (laughs) 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 Oh, she's the best. I visited her a couple times, and I was, like, so... I was just... This is the only place in my mind that she can exist. She's such an enigma, and it's, Mm -hmm. like, big fish, small pond, had to get out of here, and then ended up there, which is, like... (laughs) A movie set of Big Sur almost, you know? Because we can still have someone clean our house and someone deliver firewood. Just things that in Big Sur are impossible. Impossible and also, like, there's a resistance, too. Yes. Nobody would almost, like, want to have their firewood delivered. It's like a chore that people respect each other for doing. And I am not like that. I, I, growing up in a fence, they had, like, I was so spoiled in that way. Like, firewood right there, trash comes once a week. It was, like, living, like, in a little city. How yeah. many, like, Esalen's like that? I was Contained. Gonna say, it's the same thing. I mean, I didn't learn how to cook until after college, really, or in college, because my meals were always at Esalen, and my yeah. mom never learned how to cook, really, so I would just eat at Esalen. Yeah, all your meals there, toast. Yeah. Okay, I'll circle back to what you asked before about what I would be interested in getting involved in. But first, I want to say the toast. The two things that happened, I was spending a day at Esalen the other day that made me think of you, that I was like, I want to have a conversation with John Viev about my experience. It was like great timing. But I was there with my boyfriend, and he didn't grow up going there the way I did. He grew up going to local bathing as like a teenager with his friends. But for me, it was like... You know, I went to Gazebo for like a month or something. <laughs> we did Baba Olatunji together. Yes. I remember that. That's like rootsy Esalen, mm-hmm. which I didn't even realize. Like what it's now that I'm like, oh, I remember him. So it's like these little touchstones throughout life, but it's not like my, you know, it's not my childhood like it was yours. But it being there the other day, I was like, whoa, the core like memories that are coming back, like looking at one of the tables that's in the dining hall that I remember looking at, like sitting at when it was old dining hall. So that was wild. I was like, oh my God, this like inlay, there's like this spiral inlay and this like old table that's in this new space. I think Lance made. Really? Mm -hmm. Cool. And then the toast. It's Mm -hmm. like this little nod to the fact that something else existed in this place that if you have no idea, you're like, oh, random, it's so quaint and cute that they have toast for us. But it's like, did you know that there was 50 spreads and 20 types of bread and the udder of milk, like the huge milk thing? These little like whispers of the past. It was so intense. Like I was just like, oh my God, this table, I remember. And it's in a different world. 
I was trying to explain that actually to Sila last night because somebody on site is creating a zine and they asked if they could interview me and I was trying to explain to them how the way that they did the remodel was so thoughtless mm-hmm. because it, or it was intentional, which would be even worse, but it cuts off community and turns it into a cafeteria. Yeah. Because the way that the initial dining room was organized is you would go through the coat room and as soon as you enter, you would meet, I think his name's John, or I forget his name, but he would have a list. And then you check in with him and you would walk around, get your, your main dish, which was like either a meat option or a vegetarian option. And then you would go for like the soups and then there would be the salad bar, which is in the middle of the room. And you could go on both sides of the salad bar. So inherently it was community oriented because you had to interact, you had to interface. You're facing each other. There yeah. was no like bar between you and the person serving you. Yeah. During staff week, um, the massage crew was cooking sushi. It was like a sushi night. Yeah. And they made me into a mermaid. They covered me in seaweed and made a mermaid tail out of seaweed and had me sitting up there like serving serving sushi, sushi in my hands. It was so fun. Yeah. And it was so community oriented. And now they've made it so that it's just an assembly line. Yeah. It's it, very sterile, yeah. I felt like. And, and it's even like, the toast, it's like the toaster, you can't put more than your own toast in there. And it's it, not the toaster that would... <laughs> that's what I was explaining to someone. She was like, oh, I think my toast was in there. And I was like, yeah, well, the old one, you used to be able to put so many and it would go through. You didn't have to set a time. It, you it, just, just, it was just done when it went through. It's the done gambit. when it's done. Yeah. And it would like come flying out at you. Yeah. That was the best part. Is yeah. It would go down the chute. They have one of those at the bagel bakery. That's like how they toast their bagels. And I'm always like, I, that would be items in my kitchen that I would have. I, would I just love. don't understand why they don't have the same milk thing that you just pulled oh the lever God, down. The milk thing. Because it actually makes more sense and, and I think that... Yeah, it's more like eco-friendly yeah. than all these cartons of milk. Oh, I know. I feel the same way. I'm really fascinated by the choices that Esalen has made and it, I used to work with this retreat center Two Bunch Palms uh-huh. in, in Desert Hot Springs and every time a new chef would come in they would change the menu. And mm-hmm. I realized it's like chefs want to have their touch, the thing that makes them special, reflected in what their kitchen is serving, which makes sense. But it's the same with Esalen and CEOs. The CEO wants whatever their idea of what Esalen should be to be how it is perceived. And right. because we were growing up in a time when it was just still, it was the 90s into t- early 2000s, Esalen was born in the 60s. It was still close enough to that time where that first generation of people were still leaders in Esalen. Yeah. And now it's like younger people who have just heard of the lore of Esalen and they're like, oh, but I worked at Soho House and I can like commodify this and streamline this. And it, totally. yeah, sure, economically, maybe, maybe it makes sense. But when so many people make their little cuts as a full organization, it doesn't make sense. It just looks like someone who did too much face surgeries. Totally, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Like, oh, you wanted to do your it's cheek comp- thing, now your eyes, now your eyebrows look crazy. And now you're like kind of unrecognizable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how I feel about yeah. what happened to Esalen. That's so interesting. Yeah, I can totally see that. But then those of us who knew it before were like, wow, you were so beautiful. Yeah. I remember the smells of the dining hall and there was like something kind of gross, like when you would go and like put all your compostable like scraps mm-hmm toss your dishes down the alleyway and then like go about your day and like go to the tubs the sulfuric smell and like trash cans and being there the other day and there's 
not a single piece of trash in any of the trash cans. Like someone's coming and cleaning the trash so quickly, which it's so interesting, like in hospitality, like working in a hotel, working in restaurants, it's like, wow, they're doing an incredible job. But then as a person who has a certain nostalgia and has a connection to you that has a deeper nostalgia, it's like, whoa, yeah, you sacrificed a lot of inhospitable things, but like you lost the charm. You lost yeah. like the soul. Good job. But like, who are all these people? Yeah. Where is everybody? Being territorial here, it's something that I find to be just something. It's like it's a, not a avenue I want to put my it's energy just not into. Conducive, yeah. But it's a common it's a common sort of attitude and so I'm familiar with it. And I can get there. Like I can go there. But it's like I'm gonna just not but that day, spending there, the amount of people that welcomed me, oh, have you been here before? And I should just, yeah, I have, it's all good. And I just felt so, like, offended almost. And oh, I was like, I'm you sick. must fucking lose it. Because I'm sure people say, welcome, have you oh, been yeah. here before to you? At the gate, they're like, is this your first time? I'm like, is this your first time? Yeah. <laughs> you should have, it's like, don't you have a picture of me back there somewhere? <laughs> My little curly hair? <laughs> They don't. Um, it was interesting when I hadn't been there for a long time in the pandemic, and I just wanted to like go home. I was Mike and I were driving to Big Sur, and I was like, "Can we just drive down the gate?" I wanna. I know my mom had been there that day, so I went down the road and at the gate, I was like, "Hey, we don't. We're not guested, but like, I know my mom was here. Do you know if she's here still?" And he's like. I don't know. And I was like, well, her name's Deborah Meadow. And he was like, I don't know who that is. And that, I just like started crying. Ugh. I was so sad because it was, it was the beginning of the end for me where I was like, oh, they've completely run a coup yeah. and destroyed culture and community from the inside out. And maybe, maybe on the, on the flip side, maybe I can come back one day and, and I can help bring back that I mean, I really see that instead of being so sad about an ending, being like, okay, well, what are ways that we can repair it? Or what yeah. are ways that we can hold the culture? My childhood friends are still all around. Yeah. No one's too far that we that can't like, like rebuild it, yeah. you know? And so to me, I'm like, well, maybe that's what's going to happen is they're going to realize that they made a mistake and that they're losing something. Or you will find a way in there that feels right to you and bring yeah. your brand of what you're doing is your that like spirit of your childhood and that place that was so important to you and for so many people is like what you are kind of like honing in on and making happen in other locations and maybe there's a moment where you can like bring it home exactly that's really what I see too yeah that's that's what I want for my future and that's why I still feel so connected to Big Sur and to you and to everyone that like stays here in stewards community yeah somebody has to do that and that's kind of the realization I'm coming to in this chapter of my life someone has to do that work to make it continue and I feel like for me creating a space having sort of a venue for all of these ideas to exist where people can teach their craft and learn a craft and share their information and Getting involved in what already exists is sort of daunting to me because you want to, like, the imparting of your own ego, essentially, onto a thing is what is scary. 
what you're talking about with chefs in the kitchen. It's like, I could take the Roundup and make it sick. And then it's like, but it is sick. It is what it is. And I don't know a specific where I'm like, this is what I want it to be, but I feel very open to practicing different modalities of getting involved in what's available. There's a woman who's an art teacher at Captain Cooper and she's been teaching ceramics for adults at Captain Cooper. And I go there once a week and take a ceramics class and use the kiln and glaze and do all this stuff. And part of it for me is so fun because I'm really fascinated by ceramics and I'm terrible at it. Like I don't know (laughs) how to make what I want to make. And it's a challenge and it's like bizarre. But then it's also like, I want to engage with the work that this woman is doing to make this thing happen for us. I want to participate in what's happening so that I can see what's out there, like see what the options are within this small space that we're in, but also support the people that are doing those things. Secular Sabbath was born out of the desire to give all people a way to reclaim the day of rest through coming together and sharing in ambient music experiences. Now we have brought this community online through our Inner Circle membership. Joining the Secular Sabbath membership community unlocks ticket events, musical artifacts, artist-curated playlists, our book club, and more. You can sign up through our show notes. Join our Inner Circle today. We look forward to meeting you. What was it like when you had the store? Did you feel like that was a creative space for yeah. you? It was an it was- outlet. It was difficult to be creative in that space because it was so small. It was like the size of this bathtub. That was like an outlet. That felt, and it felt like it could have become more. Like I think there was a moment for both Zosha and I when we had that project together. It was like we could make this something and we talked about like she got even certified to like do weddings whatever that's called like oh, we like could do like organized weddings no but like you know when you can marry people oh, ordain ordain officiate yeah. yeah so we were like we could have like weird little elopements vegas style weddings with like costume box you know somebody like hillary dresses up as elvis or whatever <laughs> like we had all these like concepts for weird shit that we could do And at the end of the day, I feel like neither of us was mature enough in our... Because you were young. How old were you? I was like 23 or 24. And I think neither of us was like grown into our practice of creativity and also like having our shit together. And we were friends. And it was like important for us to stay friends. And not that we wouldn't have, but it was just like we both kind of lost our luster for it at the same time where it was like, okay, we either have to double down right now and like buy the website and put shit online, make money doing this, or we have to like go get jobs and be friends. And that's kind of the the road we took, but it was so fun. Like it was such a cool, it was like whatever we wanted it to be, you know, like we would paint Easter eggs on Easter and like make Valentine's and sell weird things to fools that would come in and which was like me I loved coming in and buying stuff there because yeah, it was, it was so, so cool. weird and there's there was really there was the heartbeat which is its own thing with Teresa Bradford and her vibe which is great for like that generation and yeah then there's like 
the, whatever store was there at that time. Maybe it was Peggy and Rachel's yeah, paint store with the vintage, with the consignment clothes and whatever. The garden you gallery. You guys had the yeah, the garden gallery. You guys had the like youth. Yeah, we had our brand of yeah. what we were. We both also there's like a detached from like pop culture, like people or just culture in Big Sur. There's sort of a like living in a bubble and proud of it that I think most, both Zosha and I, and a lot of people I find myself attracted to in this town, don't, I don't like the bubble. Yeah, like, you actually are the first person I know that knew pop culture, like you knew pop culture the way Sila knows pop culture. Yeah. I don't even know pop culture like that because yeah. I've been more of the bubble type. Yeah, and it's not, for me, it was like a, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, uninformed and and I also like love that shit it wasn't like I was like I need to know what's going on but I cared from a very young age this is entertaining entertainment magazines like I had like I knew it all you know did you have subscriptions to magazines every magazine thousands of magazines and it's a funny thing like I kept them forever. I probably could have... I filled my whole house with them, like, stacks and stacks. And there was a moment in, like, a de-hoard phase where I was like, it's time to get rid of all of these. And it's... I, You know, I don't, like, regret it to the extent that I feel like I've really screwed up. But I'm like, why did I have to get rid of every magazine? Those are historical. Because <laughs> literally they don't exist like that no. anymore. Also, magazines are boring now. They're so... It's all ads. Yeah. And it's all, like... Yeah, they're totally boring. And th- But they was so rich and colorful and important collaging and turning the pages making your own magazines out of like all the shit that you would rip out of the magazines but yeah that was always important to me and that was something that Zosha and I really like bonded over was feeling like we both knew that the world was out there and we were connected to it and we wanted to make sure that like everybody knew it you know like we weren't just well, country blumpkins the thing about Big Sur is that People isolate, and yet there are no other jobs except for interfacing with tourism in some capacity. Yeah. There's no way to escape it. Like, I literally, unless you're independently wealthy, yeah. I don't think that there's a job that exists in Big Sur where you don't have to interface in some some way. Yeah. And so it's actually amazing that you guys were like, no, we're actually going to be a bridge. We're not going to just go do our job and, like, leave. Yeah. We, and even the way that you relate to working at Post Ranch, it's like, no, I actually want to experience giving an ex- hospitality yeah. and interacting. Yeah. And like having a, having an experience myself. Yes. Taking it for what it is, getting what I can out of it, getting as much water bottles and cookies and things that I take out. Those cookies are so good. They're insane and they're gluten-free, which I don't know if that matters, but No, those post-orange cookies, when my house burned down, Kodiak and I were driving back from Oregon. I don't know if you knew that. We were Uh driving back together. He was picking me up from college. We didn't know our houses were going to burn down that night. He was just picking me up and he, like, found an excuse to come pick me up in Oregon. He, like, found some rare printer up in Oregon and I was like, okay, yeah, come pick me up. We'll do like a photojournalism project down wow. the Oregon coast. So we started driving and we were like, oh, let's stop here once we get to the coast and stay in some, I don't know, like shitty hotel. Yeah. And we got into the hotel and I was working on my paper. Actually, it was on Serbian and Croatian because I interviewed Alex, Alex. about it because she was there as a result of the Serbian war. Her parents yeah. separated, her mom stayed, her dad left with the girls. But yeah, so anyway... I was working on this paper and I had my ears, ear things in, listening to like these 
sounds of people saying words. And all of a sudden I hear Kodiak like frantic on the phone with Pearl. And she was saying that there was a fire. So we got into the car. We were like, we gotta just drive because it was on the mountain. It was on Pfeiffer and... Um, you guys both lost your houses in that fire. Yes. Wow. We both did. And it was so crazy that we were together. And we started driving. And I called my mom. My mom wasn't answering. She answered. She was like, I'm so sorry. I was vacuuming. I said, Mom, what, what do you mean you were vacuuming? There's a fire on the mountain. And she had heard popping. And she thought it was, like, stuff going into the vacuum. Because you know how sometimes it will make that yeah, noise? Yeah, that sound. And she walked outside. And it was trees cracking in half because they were burning so hot. Holy so shit. she called and woke up everyone on Front Hill that she could and then got in the car and left. And she didn't think our house was going to burn because it's not technically on Pfeiffer, but it, like, connects to Pfeiffer at Front Hill. Yeah. She had just had the propane tank refilled. Oh, no. And, oh my God. and first Kodiak's house went, and then my house went. Whoa. And, like, apparently our house, because the propane had just been refilled, it was, like, super eerie because it burned through the night. It was like there was this lantern on our property. Oh, my God. But that's crazy. We, yeah, when, by the time we got home, our houses were gone. So, anyway, because Kodiak had done so much work with posts, they gave him a room. So, we ended up staying there for, like, a week. Just me and Kodiak and I ate so many of those cookies because so, I was so depressed and didn't know what to and do with my there. life. And they were there. those cookies are so soft, like, perfectly soft. Yeah, and, like, perfectly sweet. Yeah. I don't know. They're, like salty sweet where you can eat one and feel like you got a real experience out of it they're not like bittersweet chocolate yeah it's like a treat no it's a true it's a true, true experience treat. and they i needed that at that time <laughs> i don't know why i didn't really i guess i do connect that that you're that fire that fire is kind of what me and zosha connected over they were just like at nepente and i think there was like a either a Thanksgiving when a bunch of people got invited there. And I think they were living at Barclays. Like, their house at that point was fine, but they yeah. had all been evacuated. And I gave her this, like, piece of clothing I'd made, a silk kimono, like, hand-painted with a photograph printed on it. I'd had it as, like, an art piece that I was like, oh, I'll sell this. And then I saw her, and I was like, I'm going to give this to you because you're having, like, a evacuation moment. That was, like, a kind of origin of our... I mean, we knew each other as babies, actually, but, like, we didn't... Is she from here? Her mom worked at Nepenthe, and then they moved, I think, to Colorado when she was, like, in elementary school, really small. And then her dad lived in PG, and her and her mom lived in Colorado, and then she came back for high school, like, the end of high school to the area. And her dad was in, like, the Highlands until... He moved, I didn't I think, even know. To, yeah, she was like a kid at Nepenthe. Like, we have pictures of us. Like, she was like, her mom would bring her to work kind of thing. How is that for you, like, with people coming and going? I think it's, like, part of the story, but it's not something I've ever really connected as, like, being super informative. Or I think because I have a really core, like, mom, dad, nuclear family, they never were coming and going, and people would come and go, but it was, like, long periods of time. Like, people would work there for years and then leave, and then, like, at this birthday party last night, there was this crew of women that was working at Nepenthe when I was, like, eight or nine, and they were all dancing and looking exactly the same. It was crazy. And it was, like, these four chicks that I've just known forever. And there isn't, like, I think my boyfriend growing up at Fernwood, people coming and camping and meeting kids that were camping, like, for him, was like, I made a friend, and then they left. And whereas for me, there was a, it was a little more grounded than that. You had these people, and then they would move on, but you would get to know them, or you wouldn't, yeah. but there was more time. 
with people and people lived on the property, like kids, families with their kids lived on the property and we would all like get on the bus together. There was always like somebody around and it didn't feel transient to me. There's more of a transient quality, I think, in Big Sur right now. People who are like coming for a season. Maybe that's also the time that we're in culturally though, where like young, especially millennials, they don't stay in the same job very long. long, I've seen statistics like that. Yeah. So even coming to Big Sur, the idea of Big Sur is idealized on the internet. Even people coming to Esalen, now they post their jobs on the internet. Yeah. So people come in and they're like, wait, actually, I don't know if I can handle this kind of isolation or if this slow pace. Because I perceive Big Sur to be kind of as if it were an island. Yeah. Island lifestyle. It slows down a lot. People are never on time. Totally. Just think, things are more fluid and it takes time to acclimate. Yeah coming into a place that you think is one way and then you find out what it is and maybe it works for you and then maybe it doesn't. It's a place separate from the rest of the world. And I think it's hard to find housing here now. Like, I'm sure it was always a struggle, but I think we're in a particularly difficult moment. And the places that offer housing... Fernwood's a good example. They have so much housing that's available to staff, but there's people that live there that will live there forever. Yeah, but th- like Naya. Naya, like, I mean, she, I could imagine her finding a place for herself in Big Sur that's not at Fernwood, but like the space she's in, she could live in forever. Yeah. It's totally functional. But they also have this option of tent cabins where you can come and work for the summer and live for free. And it's like, Mm. it has like a a transient nature to it. You don't want to live there in the winter if you don't have to. Yeah, it's like wolfing. Yeah, exactly. But in Big Sur, that's so interesting to think about how it works now. How do you build community? Is it just people that you've known forever now? Or is it people that like come in? Like how do people enter into the culture here now? Yeah, the bar. The bar. Yeah, I at think. Fernwood. Yeah, or like the tap house. It's like yeah. people come into town and they stop there. But I feel like there's like this drive through Big Sur, stop at Fernwood, see if I can get a job, see who's there, interact with the locals. And that's yeah. kind of where, that's where everybody that I've met that's like come into Big Sur, that's like where I've met them in the last couple of years. Did your parents end the Big Sur Arts Initiative? Like, is there... No, they passed the... Well, Stage Kids was, like, kind of passed on, and Big Sur Arts Initiative was passed on to whoever the next group of parents was. I don't really know. I I was in, you know, elementary school yeah. when that began. Yeah, so was I. And, yeah, we were that age. And then when I got into sixth grade, like, going to Carmel High School, I was kind of like, okay, you guys can stop doing stuff at my school because I'm I'm in town now you know like I want to get to know what these offerings are and like I think they felt a little bit like oh yeah now there's more opportunity for like sports and things and also I was like I don't want my parents at school every day trying to do stage kids at Carmel Middle School you know yeah which it probably could have used but I was just like I'm trying to I got really. I'm trying to fit that. in right now, really hard. You were. You felt like you really did fit in. Yeah, like, I really I, enjoyed I felt it. Like I had a hard time in middle school. That's that was my. I was so overwhelmed by moving to Car- Carmel life and. Yeah. I actually. I mean, that's, I transferred to York, in the eighth grade because I was like, I don't understand mainstream culture. Yeah, like what's happening here. Yeah. I think that's a pretty normal experience for kids in Big Sur. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't want to have that experience. I think I had heard so much. Like, my mom had that experience going to Carmel where she was different. And I think people kind of warned me or us about it. 
that's not gonna be me. And I did theater in Carmel in elementary school, so I had like met these kids. I don't know, it worked. But at that point, I think for them, they were like, okay, now our kid isn't at Captain Cooper. They continued for like however long they did, but it kind of became out of my arena. Like I wasn't really paying attention to what my parents were doing at that point. That kind of shifted a long time after, or like at a certain point after I was in high school. And I don't, I kind of just was like, yeah. That That makes sense because I'm just like, there's nothing really here now that, I mean, that's for kids and that's great that that still exists in some capacity, but in even thinking about ways for people to come together, the fact that it's still just like Fernwood at the bar or like the tap house, I'm like, there's such an opportunity to find another way for people to come together here. Yeah. Another space I think is really important. And I think a place that is like centered around creativity and like options for people, because I think that's, we have this kind of as adults, we're like, oh, I'm creative, I'm not. I like to draw, oh, I can't draw. Really what we all should be doing is like playing around all the time with that stuff, like whenever we get the opportunity to do so. But because we have jobs, things that we've identified as our hobbies, we don't like play in the same way Mm -hmm. and like mess around and give ourselves just the art barn style of just like walking in and like, what am I gonna make today? Or what am I gonna like mess with? It's a it's an opportunity here for sure, like to create that kind of a third space for people that isn't a bar and one that's not like price prohibitive. Totally, because I think that's one of the problems too. Like even thinking about the thing Chaz was doing, I'm glad that they had like local prices for people to come. But even for Secular Sabbath, like I remember when we did it here and we did it super cheap. I think the tickets were like $50 or something. For us, that's cheap. Yeah. For Big Sur, that's still expensive. Yeah, and I also, that's something that I find fascinating here. I cannot speak for everybody. I don't know everybody's financial position that they're in. Yeah. But I really do feel like that's an attitude too. Going to Esalen and having the the guest thing be whatever it is, there's this conversation around that, like, oh, it's this much now. And... The money that I'll spend to go like out to dinner or go get a massage like at a random spa somewhere is like double that. And there is this sort of attitude around money here that I find sometimes I'm like, okay, I got to just let people be who they are with their money thing because it's so personal. But I'm also like, how, like, what is $50 to you really? Yeah. Like $50 isn't, if you're talking about like giving yourself a rich experience, I don't know. It just seems like $50 in the scheme of your life. If it's a true issue, like, yes, 100%, $50 is a lot of money. But if it's an attitude around money, it's, like, something that I just am, like, spend the 50 bucks, spend the 70 bucks, like, to give yourself this opportunity. And I think it is really important that things are accessible to people. But I also think, like, we have to, like, unwrap the idea that something being expensive means that like you shouldn't do it it's like yeah that's very cultural for big sur and something i've had to unlearn moving out of big sur like shit's expensive yeah life now is expensive it's expensive to go to the top house and have a burger it's cheapest place in big sur but it's like it's expensive to live yeah and how do you want to spend your money it's important to give yourself like those cultural opportunities. And if you don't know how to sneak into a show, like <laughs> that's on you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's so real. I don't remember the last time I paid for a concert, which was kind of fucked that's up. That's what I'm always like, I get so like funny about it because I'm so lucky. I have like this connection with Nepenthe of so yeah. much like 
I can eat there and enjoy myself and like bring friends and not have to like so I don't even look at it but then I feel like that does translate into the rest of my life with money where I'm like I'm not gonna look at this as a price I'm gonna look at this as an opportunity and I don't know it's like I know people that live here and they talk about all the time how expensive it is and I'm like go anywhere else it's just as expensive life is expensive and I'm I'm just here to spend my money and enjoy my time. <laughs> I actually remember when you bought your secular Sabbath socks and you were like, I got my stimulus check. I'm going to buy some socks. Dude, and your socks like, so are touched. the best socks. It, at some point, do you still have some? Yeah, we okay. do. Because there was a, I've ordered three pairs and I have a pair that I haven't taken out of the wrapper yet because I'm like saving it for when I've darned the first pair I have. Like I, those socks are so good. They really are. Just the socks, like whatever company you're using to get it's not a company it's a guy and it's really hard to get in touch with him now so i don't know if we can get this he's killing it well i had a moment where i was like i'm gonna order a bunch of those so that like i can have those and then i was like don't hoard don't hoard (laughs) you don't want to hoard your wealth and i was like well then you can give them as gifts and then i was like but i'm not going to give them as gifts i'm going to keep them so i like have this pair that i've set aside for myself for like the moment and then i'll get more they're so good, though. I know. They are really good. I also, we have a problem. Mike started opening new pairs. I'm like, Mike, you need to stop. Like, yeah, need- this is limited. Yeah. Well, also, my family, my mom's side, came over on Ellis Island, and, like, they snuck over on a boat and had to sing for food and blah, blah, blah. Then they opened a butcher shop, and then they ate all of the, like, meat because oh they were God. so poor. And I have that epigenetic thing where I'm like, we can't use all the things. Yeah, we can't we drink to, all our tea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's literally it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, my mom's like, I need a sweatshirt. My dad's like, I need a sweatshirt. Like, You're like, yeah. I'll give you my old sweatshirt. <laughs> I'm like, this sweatshirt, the the base price is really expensive. Yeah, you those are, are, that's the thing with garments. Like, good garments are expensive. Yeah. Things that you want to put on your body cost money. That's how I feel, too, about the inconvenience thing. Like, I'd rather have less or I'd rather have clothing swaps. Yeah. I'd rather reuse these garments or find ways to give them new homes. Because I'm not out here being like, oh, I'm saving the planet, but I'm going to do the things that I can. But I'm also still, if somebody has a plane and they want to give me a ride, I'm going to take a ride on the plane, you know? I mean, I am. I have to to be honest with where I'm at in my life where it's like, yeah, I'm going to do the things that I can do. But I'm also going to live. I'm also going to live and I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of it is finding the balance and and being. And me not getting on a plane to to do something isn't really going to do anything. Exactly. Get somebody else with a bigger footprint. Yeah. That's that's my We all know. I mean, I think we know. Yeah. But I'm really interested in it because people, again, even with Big Sur, they'll have this perception of how people live here. Like, oh, everyone must be recycling all the time and everyone must be driving cars that are better for the environment. I'm like, we had a Toyota 4Runner that got eight miles to the gallon my whole life. (laughs) And like recycling is a chore and a half. Yes. And we do our best. We do our best, just like anyone else. But yeah. living in a beautiful place doesn't mean you're be- living a beautifully perfect existence. existence. Yeah. Yeah. And living in nature doesn't mean that nature is your number one priority yeah. all the time. And also, there's like a dark side. Like people get people run each other over. People yeah. have their there's crazy alcoholism. Things. There's like yeah. a dark side to living here for sure. What are the things that, like, you feel that you would want to bring from, like, the core of who you are into the stuff that you're, you want to do with your family? Like, it doesn't yeah. have to be specifically what you're what? doing, but, like, how do, you want to, how do you want to do that? I want to create a space inside my life that is 
appreciative of the family and the artists that have like kind of lined up through the generations of our little world to get us get me to where I am to like come at it from that of this like I, like I couldn't be me without this mm. and kind of move away from this feeling of like I'm so different because what I'm what I like to paint is not what my mom likes to paint but rather I like to paint and I can paint because my mom showed me how to paint and sure my subject matter is going to be different but like to accept that that tie that goes through all of us I'm black sheep maybe in some ways but I'm also like I'm in a family of sheep like we're all in this and we're and to have that level of like acceptance and excitement and like I don't know I've had a resistance my whole life to sharing like when I worked in Nepenthe I never told anybody that I was connected to the family. No one knew that you were of People the I worked family. with did. Oh, okay. But nobody that was like coming through and like, what's the history? Oh, this man and this woman, you know? And it's like a preservation tactic. I didn't want to like open myself up to creeps or, you know, sharing the reality with just anybody. But I always felt very like, that's not my history. That's my mom's. And it's like the reality is that is my history because it is my mom's, because it is my grandmother's, because all these people. Wait, was it, it was your grandmother that started Nepenthe? No, her mom. Oh, her, your yeah. great-grandmother started So my, my grandma was like five or six or something. They started building the restaurant and then all the kids built the restaurant with them and with the trotters. Like it was a whole, it was an event. And she grew up there. And then when her mom and her dad both had passed away, she was like running the show. Okay. And she still is, but... She still is, your yeah. grandma. Wow. And her son, my uncle. Wow. So the two of them are, like, they're the people who, like, make it what it is. Like, they run the business. All right, will it pass down to family after that? If somebody desires so. Yeah. Like, if someone in our family... But at this moment, nobody does. And I think my hope is that it always has, like, a family, like, that we don't... I don't come back at some point and be like, oh my God, this place is so different. But also knowing that like sometimes family running things doesn't always breed healthy family relationships. And I think they do an incredible job. Like they're incredible business people and they're incredible, like their hearts are in the right place. But I think just knowing that there's other family members out there that may feel different, that's hard and it creates division. And I think having somebody who appreciates and knows the soul and the core, but maybe isn't blood to allow for something to change or to grow. Because you guys have had people that worked there forever, like Alicia and Angus, who yeah. I've known my entire life. So there are people that are like, not. I'm not saying that for them to run it. I'm just saying like... No, but I've 100% that's know. like... They're, and they are, to me the feeling of working in a family-owned establishment comes from the people that work there. Mm -hmm. And I say this at Post Ranch, too. There's some connection still to the Post family in theory. I don't really know what it is. But it feels like you work at a family establishment because Martine Palafox has worked there since the day it opened. And Mike Higgins, 
who came in as a maintenance person when they opened in the 90s is now head honcho. And he, you know, and it's like, and I've known him since I was a kid. And his house is amazing, like way up, up there. Mike Freed. Oh, yeah. Mike Freed, sorry. But he's, Mike. but yeah, the Mikes. Yeah. But it's like they're the family. And no, they're not the post family, just like but they Alicia keep, isn't yeah. my actual sister, but she's like family and she's been there forever and she's, you know, not going anywhere. I think that's the core of community and like the core of Big Sur in my perspective, even though we're not sisters, there's like a sense of familiarity because even if we didn't live the same same history or same childhood here, there are elements that are so profoundly, uniquely ours. Totally. That it's like a thread that's shared that you inherently like trust each other. You inherently believe that everybody wants the best out of the same things because we know each other totally. so deeply. Or even if we don't want the same, we know what, we understand what the other wants. Yeah. And in the last whatever little period of time, coming to this sort of like feeling of like, experiencing places that are different than they once were and living in a place like Nepenthe is a place that for for so many people they come to and they go oh but the good old days the way that it was you know and the way that it is is the way it's is in my lifetime and so I've always had a resistance to that style of thinking but I think you're very open to nostalgia in this way that I really love. Like, I remember the first time we hung out as adults with Alex, it was like, oh my God, this is fun. Reminiscing is fun. I've always felt kind of like resistant to this, like, take me back. You know, I hate that. But I love shared experience and knowing a history. And I think being open to that and seeing, visiting a place that is so a core value of part of your fabric of your life and having my own experience there really was like oh my god this is what people are experiencing in my home like the number of kids that were raised in that cabin I was born there and I've lived there you know my whole life but I'm not the only person other people have that same like oh, that was my home once too and allowing myself to be like empathetic to that yeah, that hurts. Like, it hurts to go home and have it not be your home. Yeah. And I don't, you know. I think that's one of the things that I actually appreciate about Nepenthe is it always feels the same for me. Like, even going to the Phoenix shop, I have so many memories of my godmother, Laura Day, whenever she would come teach at and she would, like, buy out everything at the Phoenix shop. And, like, I still go to the toy section, not because I want anything there, just because I like the feeling of looking around. Being in that little aisle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, what's here? And going downstairs and wanting nothing, but just going. Just going, I know. <laughs> Seeing if maybe I'm going to find something this time. Yeah, I feel that, too. But I think a lot of people don't, you know? Mm. Like, I think a lot of people that are older than us. I don't think, I think in our, in our time, it's kind of been solid and that's the beauty of the way that it's being operated right now. But I think for people that were here, like in the seventies and the eighties, it was a different vibe. It was a different mm -hmm. experience. And the terrace was still red and the tables were still shiny redwood. And like the plates were what they were and the food was the same, but maybe like the general, the overall was more loose in the mm -hmm. way that Esalen was loose and kind of how is this all being held together. How is this working? And now, and you go to Nepenthe and you can see it's like working because it's a business. And I think the same thing is happening for Esalen. And so it's like a painful experience. We just didn't witness it there. We 
kind of are in the aftermath of it, you know? <laughs> but you still have a free box there, too. Yeah, but the free box at Esalen's better. Is it? I just went. That was the first thing we did when we got there. I was like, let's hit up the free box. And, yeah, it was decent. Anyway, I wasn't like, I didn't wow. come home with, like, Prada bags I mean, or anything. I mean, I found amazing stuff at the free box. So I'm, I'm all about the free boxes. It's very clothing swap for me. I love the free box. And our free box is pretty good at Nepenthe. It doesn't get as much, like, attention as it, like, people don't drop off as much stuff as they once did. People probably just don't know that it's there. Yeah. New new people in town need, yeah. to, need to learn. You need to start <laughs> spreading the word. I'll spread the word through the podcast. Yeah. People will find out. People will if find it. Sir, find the, find the free box in the Penthe. But make sure you're dropping off gems. Yeah, you can drop things <laughs> off, too. It's not just a one-way street. Um, the free box at Esalen's funny to me because it feels like more of a lost and found in a way. Like is. you can see that this is like there's suitcases of clothes that people just leave. And it's like, what happens here? Did you just come and like. But people leave stuff and then like they'll be in the lost and found for two weeks. And if nobody claims them, then they get moved to the, to the free, box. free box. That's what happens. Well, I guess this is the last question. I just kind of want to ask you about, I don't know. Maybe I don't even have a last question. Do you have a last question? I don't. I don't know. I appreciate... I've had loved this conversation, and I appreciate talking to you always. Thanks. And Me too. Well, I'm, I think it's really interesting to talk to. I mean, I guess we did go through a lot of history, but also seeing how that relates to now is really yeah. fascinating. And Big Sur is such a microcosm, and even what happens here reflects what happens in other places too. Yeah. But it's so integrated, and it's such a small community that I'm happy that you're here and you're fostering community in your way I'm happy to be here too and I'm happy that I'm happy to be here and I'm like really appreciative of I feel like I am recognizing these little parallels like to our childhood two things that make me excited about what's to come like I don't know like I feel like you have a momentum around something that you've created and it's really cool to watch and I'm like I'm inspired by that and I'm curious to see where it goes for you and I'm also curious to see what the ripple is like for this place because it you have an impact even though you're not centered here, you know? Thank you. And it's really cool. It's, like, exciting. Thanks. I try. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you do. I mean, it's, like, that idea. It's, like, if one person, but I feel that way, and so I'm, like, that's all that matters to me. And it's it's special. Well, thanks for coming out to Tub Talk. Thanks for having thanks me. For this was so fun. Bath. I know. This bath is great. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. To get updates from Secular Sabbath on upcoming sensory experiences, follow us at Secular Sabbath. Let's get activated together.